There's been a lot of talk lately about the possibility that COVID-19 leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Surprisingly, even with all this talk about it, I'm not hearing about solutions that can actually make ourselves safer from future pandemics coming out of labs. And even worse, we're on the verge of really mismanaging this situation. So today, I'll talk solutions. Instead of just talking about the past, we can start working to create the safer future we all want. Let's dig in. This is the joy of saving the human race, where we try to get the world to cooperate. It's so the human race can avoid some urgent global problems that could mean the end of civilization and cause lots of suffering around the world. But also, we just want to have a good world that we enjoy and we can feel proud of. We are not just citizens of our own countries. We are citizens of the human race. Let's learn to manage ourselves responsibly. Let's help the human race act like it wants to last for a while. I think humans are awesome and the human race is worth saving. There is no time to waste, so let's do this. Hi friends. Welcome to the joy of saving the human race. I'm Shelby Murtis. Thanks for joining me today. So on this show, I promote the idea that we are not just citizens of our own country. We're also citizens of the world. And we're also members of the human race, which is just as important. So this idea is critical because humanity is facing global threats that need global solutions. And we need global thinking in order to get that done, to give ourselves the safer world that we can be proud of. One country alone can't fix the problems we're facing. So I bring that idea to today's discussion about COVID-19 and the possibility that the pandemic started in a lab in Wuhan, China. Now, this has been in the news a lot lately. It's getting a lot of attention, thankfully. Um, I'm worried that we all are about to mismanage this situation. And I think the collective conversation needs to be better and more productive. In today's talk, I plan to not just recycle all the same information that you've heard elsewhere. I plan to offer some new ideas to move this conversation forward into a more productive territory. I want to thank many, many investigators and journalists who have worked on this issue. Um, great work by a lot of people. Um, because it only just a couple months ago, the conversation shifted and be became a more legitimate concern for people to have. But through much of the pandemic, there's been people researching and trying to get this out there who have been harassed and ridiculed and not taken seriously. Um, good work bringing that to the public attention. So now we can have a real conversation about it and assess the risks and do something about it. Um, Thankfully, it's getting the attention it deserves because this is really important. At this point now, though, because I care about this issue, I have consumed at least two or three hundred articles, podcasts, YouTube videos. Um, I've consumed a ton of information about this. I have barely seen solutions mentioned in any of these, even the best uh, material I've been seeing. 
no one seems to be talking about what do we actually do about this risk in labs around the world. So what I'm going to do is talk about possible solutions. I'd like us to look at an international system to make labs safer around the world, which I'll get into soon. And I also, in this, think it's critical that we manage the psychology and the politics of this situation right now. That's critical to giving us a good outcome. So I want to focus there also. So in these many, many, many materials that I've seen, almost all of them say we need to find the truth. We need a proper investigation. We need to find proof of where COVID-19 originated so that we can avoid the next pandemic. Sure, that's great. Truth is good. I want it to as much as anybody. But I think that view is a bit narrow and we need to shift our focus in order to give us the safety that we want. I'm just going to assume that everybody talking about this wants us to be safer from future pandemics. So then why aren't we talking about how to actually make ourselves safer? Safer. So far, the conversation has been, we need an investigation. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need proof. But okay, so what if we get the proof that we want? Then what? What do we do? And if there's things to be done, why don't we just get started right now? Why do we need to wait? So the idea that we need an investigation, we need proof so that we can avoid the next pandemic, like, I don't want to wait because it could take months or years until we get the info that we want. And we might never get it because some of this info may have been buried by the Chinese government or destroyed by the Chinese government. Like we may never find the proof that we want, and but we don't have time to wait. There's serious risk in the world of dangerous work that's happening in labs right now, and we need to do something about it. So we can't wait for a proper investigation to take action. And then also, even if we learn about exactly what caused this pandemic, Say it did happen in a lab in Wuhan, and we learned the exact mistake made on a really bad day in 2019 by somebody in that lab, and then we go about fixing that mistake. That's such a narrow solution because there are many other risks across this complex international system of labs around the world. This issue, this issue we're dealing with is not just about China. There's research continuing around the world in 23 countries that have biosafety level 4 labs, or BSL-4. Um, this is a designation that labs get. There's four levels, and four is the highest security where the dangerous stuff happens. There's 59 of these around the world in these 23 countries. So you may have seen pictures in the news about people, um, you know, you see scientists in a bodysuit and a helmet and, you know, they've got a ventilator and they're in this closed up room that's all high tech with, you know, proper ventilation and all that. Those are the BSL-4 labs that we're talking about. Now, they are BSL-4 for a reason. 
they have all that stuff because they're dealing with incredibly dangerous pathogens that can make people incredibly sick. So this is where they deal with the stuff that is either unknown or it's known to be dangerous and we don't have treatments for it. So that if it got out in the world, really seriously bad things would happen, like a pandemic. Now in this system of labs, there have been documented safety breaches in many countries for many years, including the United States, which is often seen as the world leader in safety and high tech and whatever. Um, I'm not going to do a blow by blow of all these examples. I'm putting in the show notes several resources that you can go look at. And I encourage you to go look at them because this stuff's been happening for several years. So issues like um, poor training of personnel or equipment not being maintained properly or lab specimens or samples being mislabeled or ending up in the wrong place. Uh, issues around improper disposal of materials. Uh, there's been dangerous work that has been done in BSL-2 or BSL-3 labs, like not the high security place where it belongs, and, and more. There's lots of ways that mistakes can happen because humans are humans and humans make mistakes. And even when you have fabulous systems, humans can still screw up. So there have been screw-ups in many places. And so these safety issues happened for several years, and we had warnings about them from many people in the field, that, like in journalists, that this is serious, but nobody paid attention. And then a pandemic came along, and now we're a year and a half into a pandemic, and still there's not serious conversation and action around making these labs safer. And now, even though we're a couple months into maybe public acceptance of this idea that uh, the Wuhan lab might have caused COVID-19, we're still running in circles about like what happened. Like we're looking in the rear view mirror instead of looking forward to how do we make safety happen in the world. So this is a, is a much overdue conversation. Currently, there is no international system to regulate or inspect or enforce safety in these places. The closest thing we have to it is the World Health Organization, and they have, over the last few years, ramped up their training of personnel in various countries. They've developed safety standards, um, encouraging everyone to follow these. But this is all voluntary. The WHO can't make anyone do anything. And so uh, we're just sort of at risk. Like this system is just loose and everybody just handles it however they want. And me in one country, I'm subject to whatever somebody else elsewhere in the world wants to do. And I just have to put up with it. Um, and the WHO, as they've observed labs around the world, They've told us that not all these labs have adequate safety, and they're encouraging much tighter safety protocols in some of these places where dangerous stuff happens. A couple of the most dangerous types of activity that I think is happening are a couple things. One is collection of animals out in nature and bringing them back to the lab to be studied. 
And it's stated that the purpose of doing this is so that scientists can keep an eye on the pathogens out there in nature to see beforehand what might start to infect humans and be a danger to us and get a handle on that beforehand. The problem, though, is, you know, we know that what might have happened in Wuhan is that bats from a cave got brought from a rural area into a highly populated city to study and then could have escaped from there. So that would be an instance where collecting those animals caused the risk more than the natural risk would have posed to us. So if they had not done that, then maybe the disease would have just stayed out there in nature and maybe would not have infected humans. Or if it was going to infect humans, maybe it would have taken a couple more decades. And in those couple decades, we would be developing better technology health-wise to protect ourselves from that from that impact. Instead, it could be brought to a lab and then just escape, and that's a pandemic. The other very dangerous activity that's happening is called gain-of-function research. This is where scientists manipulate pathogens to make them more transmissible, um, more able to infect humans, more deadly, more dangerous. And so basically, there. The intent of doing this is to, again, try to predict what the next pandemic might be and then get ready for it. Um, but what they're doing is making pathogens that are more dangerous than anything in nature currently that we know of. They do this through directly manipulating the genetics with various genetic tools to add and remove pieces of a, of a you know, DNA or RNA or whatever. Um, or they can take pieces of genetics from different microorganisms and put them together to see what happens. So within this um, system where there have been documented safety issues for many years, we're doing this work that has enormous safety risks. And this is happening in many countries. So this is an urgent situation, and this current conversation about a potential Wuhan lab leak is an opportunity um, to do something about it. But it's important that we all just pause and check in with ourselves and consider what our motives are and what we want out of this situation. How do we want it to play out? So let's consider how we as a world could best interact with China, where this might have happened. The United States President Biden in late May ordered a 90-day review by intelligence agencies um, to really dig in and try to figure out where COVID-19 came from and collect all the uh, available information. And so that review, um, if it happens on schedule, would complete in late August. Whatever President Biden does at that point or says at that point will have an impact on the situation and will have an impact on U.S.-China relations. From everything I'm hearing in the public conversation so far, I'm worried that we're about to start down a dangerous path where we get bogged down and um, bad things happen.
So I know that typical human behavior when something bad happens is to blame and to look for a bad guy and punish them. And it's often called accountability, but sometimes it's just a matter of venting our anger on someone who did wrong. That might feel good in the moment, but it doesn't actually solve anything. You know, blaming and punishing doesn't actually give us the lab safety around the world that we want in itself. There's a strong segment of the U.S. population that encourages the U.S. government to be tough on China. And there's been friction between the U.S. and China on other issues so far. So there's been issues around um, trade war that happened. There's been military issues. There's been the Uyghurs, Hong Kong, Taiwan. There's been friction in other areas, and I'm not really eager to add one more, especially as important as pandemic preparedness. So, but I think if the anti-China um, attitude ramps up or continues, um, we could have a lot of people demanding lawsuits of China or economic sanctions or trade war or, you know, whatever it is to try to get China to pay for the damage that has happened. You know, and this is assuming that stronger proof comes along that, you know, really uh, pins this on China as the cause of the outbreak. But the world pandemic at this point has cost many, many, many trillions of dollars in economic damages and health damages. And China is not eager to pay that. Um, and so we should really consider like what the future looks like. Like say this does get pinned on China as them being at fault. What then? Now China, I'm sure, is thinking ahead on this. And they don't want to be subject to a bunch of um, you know, trade sanctions or lawsuits or whatever it is. And so they're not likely at this moment to come out with truth and come out with more information and be open and transparent like everybody wants and to cooperate because I think they're worried about what the world reaction is going to be. And they're no dummies. So if we want China to be open and transparent and be a partner with us in promoting safety, we might want to give them some reassurance that like, no, we're not going to try to heap you with a bunch of, um, you know, trade issues or lawsuits or, or whatever kind of punishment. Give them some assurance that that's not our goal, that really we want safety and we just want to work with them to get this done. Um, and related to this issue around China, just remember this issue is not just China. There's 23 countries with these BSL-4 labs, including the United States, that has had security issues. So a pandemic really could happen anywhere in any of these countries. And so uh, China just happened to be the one that screwed up this time, but assuming they did, right? We don't know. But um, it could have been another country that screwed up and made a pandemic. So instead of this path of just trying to beat up on China, 
what I would rather see is after this review, Biden comes out and he says, we are gathering this international agreement to make safety happen around the world. So this agreement, I think, would be led by the United States and China and the World Health Organization, who would be leaders of this. All of them have serious credibility issues right now that they need to overcome in order to gain public confidence again. So China, especially because they're being blamed now for potentially causing a pandemic, the United States has had weird politics around this lab leak issue and the pandemic in general. And there's issues around like what they investigated or didn't investigate or what they knew or didn't know or what they told us or didn't. And then serious issue is that they have funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, in the lab there, via the EcoHealth Alliance. So if the lab leak did cause, pandem or cause this pandemic, the U.S. government may be partly at fault. So, and then there's the World Health Organization, which um, we desperately need a strong World Health Organization serving those functions. Um, but it has been criticized for being soft on China around all this stuff and for doing a poor investigation of the possibility of a lab leak and having conflicts of interest in that investigation. So they also could stand to restore some credibility. And then in this international plan, we would include all 23 countries with BSL-4 labs. And then, you know, one importance of having the WHO involved is that it gives this an international um, sort of a stance because the entire world has a stake in how this stuff plays out. Not only the countries doing the research, but everyone else is affected by a pandemic. So what I would recommend as we start doing this is start by pressing pause on the gain-of-function research and collecting animals from nature and bringing them to labs. I'm not saying never do these things, but for right now, just press pause because we don't have enough safety in our labs to be doing that very risky research. And then the initial step, I assume, would be to put together an international commission of scientists, public health experts, government officials, other types of regular citizens, and have them really study it and look into it and start this process and make this time limited because we have risks out there in the world that really need to be solved soon. So we don't want to just study and study forever. And then what this commission would do is several things, and there might be even more that I'm not thinking of, but start by determining safety standards for all BSL-4 labs. So the WHO has standards they've been developing, lets everybody take a really good look at it and make sure that's suitable, and then if it is, have all countries with BSL-4 labs agree to those standards and commit to it and be bound to it, not just a voluntary thing. And then any BSL-4 labs in the world that do not yet meet those safety standards needs to pause their operations until they get up to speed and meet that standard.
And if, if there's some critical reason why one of these labs needs to keep continuing in the meantime, have a time limit by which they need to meet that standard. Then we would have, um, we would have inspections done by this international body and inspectors could just drop in on a lab unannounced whenever they want, as often as they want, to see what's happening there and see if safety standards are being met. And for the very, the most dangerous activities that happen in labs, you might have um, sort of inspectors in residence that are just there all the time, keeping an eye on what happens. And then you could have sort of a scientists visiting other countries' labs so that they're each helping to keep an eye on each other, but also to teach each other good safety practices and monitor and learn from each other. We need this system to ensure good training of all personnel that works in these labs. We also need to ensure proper funding of all of these labs. So if a BSL-4, if a country wants to have a BSL-4 lab, it needs to demonstrate that it has adequate funding in place for training of its personnel and good maintenance. We obviously need good data collection and transparency in this realm so that we can all have a good sense of what's happening in the labs and if they're safe everywhere. Now, obviously, this has been an issue with China in this issue around the potential Wuhan leak. But I think in this conversation, we need to focus less about what happened in the past and instead focus on the future. Put in, in, in a, a system of transparency now going forward, I think we could get China to buy into that. And then with all this stuff, we have to have consequences for safety issues that happen. This can't just be a loose voluntary system. Everybody has to buy in and commit to it. So if safety issues arise in one of these labs, we need to be able to press pause and have them stop operations until they get their act together and get up to speed. And then if there are frequent safety issues or severely dangerous safety issues, a lab needs to get shut down. And so there has to have some teeth to the process that can make this happen. Now, people in the field might come up with additional ideas than, than I can, but ideas that come to me, though, is when there's safety problems in labs, they can be sort of, um, that they're not dealing with, they can be sort of ostracized from the world community of scientists. So it could be that they don't get their stuff published in peer-reviewed journals around the world. They don't, they could lose funding. They don't collaborate with the community of scientists around the world. And maybe importantly is labs that are all involved in production of a vaccine or a treatment or other product that their patents will not be valid. And so that could offer a financial incentive to keep safety in place. And then we really should be considering with all this whether we should be having BSL-4 labs in highly populated places, or at least if the really dangerous work should be happening in populated areas. Um, that's a serious thing.
And then after we've put this international system in place and we know that our labs are really safe and monitored, then we might consider this gain-of-function research and this collecting animals from nature. Um, but as we do that, we need a much more coherent system for figuring out those risks. Because I don't like this current situation where scientists get to just go off and study whatever dangerous thing they want to study because they feel like it. Within virology, for years, there's been debates about gain-of-function research. And some say that we really need it. But other virologists say it's incredibly dangerous and we actually don't need it. So because this debate is happening, I think we need to have a better conversation and settle it so that, the, you know, before this gain of function continues. Um, because with a high degree of risk involved, this really should be a collective decision instead of just leaving it up to a lab or leaving it up to a scientist to do whatever they want to do. So with this whole situation, with the possibility of a Wuhan lab leak, I'm worried that this conversation could degenerate into a lot of finger pointing and fighting. But the other option is that our world leaders could come out and be champions, and they could fix this and make us safer. So we're at a fork in the road right now, and the way this plays out might depend on the public conversation and how we as citizens talk about this. So my intention here is to promote a productive conversation about it. The ideas I'm offering here, they may not be truly original. I doubt I'm the first person to think about it. Um, there are some experts out there in the world who have great proposals on biolab safety, but they don't seem to be out in the open out in the mainstream public conversation that gets covered in news media and elsewhere. So this stuff needs to get out there. It needs to get talked about widely. So if you agree with what I'm saying, if you share these concerns, I really hope that you'll share this show with other people you know, because we really do need to whip up a conversation about this. This stuff is incredibly important. So share it with your friends, your family, anybody you can think of. Especially if you know somebody who works in government or they're a journalist or they're somehow able to positively affect the public conversation on this, please forward this show to them and get them thinking about this. And if we handle this right, maybe we can give ourselves the safer world that we can be proud of. All right, thanks for joining me today. I'm grateful for you uh, listening to me for a bit, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, but you're not done yet. We can't change the world if we keep the joy of saving the human race to ourselves. Help me spread the word and help this movement grow. Please subscribe to the show, both the podcast and the YouTube channel. Leave ratings or reviews, which encourages others to listen. Share this show with others on your social media. Even better, just tell a friend about it and have a good conversation about the state of the world. These things really make a difference. I hope you can help the show grow and reach a larger audience. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you. And please stay in touch with me. 
I love to get feedback, suggestions, and questions. Go to the website at joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. At the website, you'll learn more about the show, and you can sign up to get occasional email updates. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for being here. All right, we're done for today. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.